Recovery Sort Of is a podcast where we discuss recovery and addiction topics from the perspective of people living in long-term recovery. This podcast does not intend to represent the views of any particular group, organization, or fellowship. The views expressed here are solely the opinion of its contributors. Be advised there may be strong language or topics of an adult nature. Sort of. I'm a Jason. I'm a guy in long-term recovery, and I almost fucked that all up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's okay. I'm Billy. I'm a person in long-term recovery. And we're here today to talk about something or other. Who the hell knows? Uh, one of the things we wanted to get to uh, before we waste any time, because I get sidetracked easily, we got uh, a lot of feedback about our honesty episode last week, and, and people had a lot to weigh in on. Some of the, the stuff that was said, uh, Jenny reached out to us and told us that Buddha said that a person who is capable of dishonesty is capable of any egregious act. Lying is the worst. One of the five precepts in Buddhism is refrain from lying. Buddhism is about facing the truth, truth about life, truth of ourselves, and it's an impossible task if we can't be honest. And so I thought that was kind of interesting. I I actually tried to look into... Uh, the Ten Commandments, because, you know, a lot of times I tend to think that Buddhism and Christianity are pretty well related. I, I, is it, do you know the Ten Commandments that well? Like, I don't think lying is one of those. It says do not bear false witness, but to me that sounds like a particular kind of lying. But maybe that's just from the um, era they were speaking. Yeah, I don't think lying is actually in there. I'm trying to think back through them real quick. But, yeah, I don't think there's specifically one about lying. Yeah, so I, I looked into them. I, I Googled them. And the closest thing I found was do not bear false witness, which I guess, like, in, you know, the speak of 2,000, 3,000 years ago, <laughs> maybe that's right. what, exactly what they meant. Maybe they were just saying don't lie. Um, but to me, when I read it, you know, in, in 2020, I was like, oh, that means don't, you know, say somebody did something that they didn't or didn't do something that they did specifically. Um, but it probably wasn't that specific. I I just found it interesting that it wasn't on there. Like, it, you know, honesty seems to be a pretty important facet. Yeah, yeah almost, I'm looking through. I don't see it, you know. I have to believe that that false witness thing is lying. I, I have to believe we just don't understand the translation anymore. Or yeah, something. It, got a, it got a bad translate right. for the languages. <laughs> yeah, Google Translate fucked that one up and... Um, but yeah, so I, I mean, you know, according to, to that idea of Buddha that you have to, it's almost like you have to be honest first, like nothing else comes until you're honest. And so I would say that makes it a, a pretty huge priority, whether we want to lie or not. Um, and that kind of brings me to a, a comment that Selena made on our post. She said, uh, I thought honesty was a spiritual principle that I had in the bag until I was going over step four, round two, and my sponsor pointed out a situation where I was being dishonest. Then I listened to the podcast. 
I always sneak candy into the movie theater. My son told a theater employee that our pockets were full of candy once. I was mortified (laughs) and then had to have the conversation about lying. Generally, I practice honesty and consider it a pillar in my recovery. And so I thought that was really, really interesting because we got into a discussion and, and I was like, okay, so if you sneak candy into a theater, that's lying, but you know, I I think we sneak candy into theaters because we feel like theaters are gouging the price of candy, yeah. right? And look, I, I don't know the theater's budget. Maybe that's the only way they stay afloat and provide entertainment is by overcharging for candy prices. I, I really don't know. But uh, I think I, just, I try to get over on them before they get over on me is right. the thing. But really, like, and so... I say, well, where's the honesty? Is it looking out for my family? Is that the the better way to be honest? Is it, you know, respecting that they charge four times as much for candy? <laughs> like, I guess the thing is, if that's what they charge, I just need to pay it. It doesn't really matter what the fuck I believe in beyond that. Like, the truth is, they say don't bring candy in, and I should just follow it regardless. Yeah, and that's, you know, what I teach my kids about, you know, laws and rules and stuff all the time is... You know, it doesn't – if a place is up front with you, it tells you what the expectations and what the rules are. I mean, you should follow it. If you don't like it, then don't support that place. But you right. know, it's not necessarily fair to ignore the rule and justify uh, being dishonest. I will say that I, I think that the climate of movie theaters and, and all of that has changed, uh, you know, even in, in-person entertainment at sporting events with these giant comfortable TVs we have in our houses and high-definition Video, like, I, I kind of prefer to watch most movies at my house. My only beef is that I got to wait an extra three months till they come out on video. But yeah. beyond that, like, I, I don't need to sneak candy and I don't even want to go to the theater. It's like $100 to take all my goddamn kids to the movies. Yeah, it's quite expensive. And, uh, like, say, it's, it's almost, I get the same way with sporting events. Like, I almost enjoy watching it better at home. There's certain things that the experience is great at the theater or at the event, but. You can do that like once or twice a year, and then right. the other, you know, rest of it just do at home. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely down with that. Uh, Stephanie mentioned the part we talked about sort of at the end. We had talked about some stuff about uh, your kids and my kids and conversations about weight. And uh, she mentioned that her 12-year-old was pretty sedentary, and she was just really super honest. Um, she personally has a small frame, but her her kid takes after her father more. Um and she approached it from a health aspect and said, if you want to live a longer life and have more energy, you can't keep doing what you're doing with the way you're eating. Um, and then, you know, so now apparently the, the younger kid works out three to four times a week in whatever way they do. And she encourages the healthy part, not the thin part, because, you know, thin's not always necessarily healthy. And I know that to be true from, from taking a course in the biology of obesity and it's not really the thin people that are the healthiest. It's it's people who are healthy who are the healthiest. Right. And that's with my son. That's definitely the case. Like he's always been husky. He's always been kind of a, a bigger kid. And I've never cared about that so much, you know, because he's stayed active. We played sports. We did stuff pretty regularly, you know, ride bikes, go outside, play with friends, run around at school, whatever. Um, but I think it just – it's worried me lately with the COVID stuff, the yeah. amount of sedentary – um, like I say, not even necessarily by his choice. It's like by circumstance. Right. And, uh, you know, he's put on extra weight. 
but we kind of went i i talked to my wife and we decided well no we're not gonna ignore the rules and do that so we made a decision about that that we just i personally took it on to try to do some more active things with them so we went out a couple days this week we just went out and walked the dogs for like a mile and a half you know just to get them outside and doing stuff and outside with the dogs i figured we'll start there we'll just start making that like an everyday thing that we do um, and then just, again, circumstance-wise, uh, he went to a friend's house, or his cousin's house, actually, the other day, and then he went and met up with another friend, and, you know, so he's starting to get out. I think things are starting to open up, and, you know, so hopefully the world will get back to somewhat normal. That's interesting. And then you, I don't have to lie. <laughs> right, right. You chose to, to be honest with the age, and, and I chose to put my dentist off for two weeks. My appointment is <laughs> two weeks and two days out from when I got home. and so I meant to tell you this, and this oh. isn't an advertisement for anything. Well, I guess maybe it is. I found this. A friend of mine told me about you can order a COVID test. <laughs> If you have insurance, it covers it. Right. It's through LabQuest. I'll get you the name of it. They'll send it to your house. It's not the deep nose swab. It's just a nose swab. You do it yourself. You put it back in the thing and send it to them. They get you your results within 72 hours. So the whole process is only supposed to take three to four days um, from the time you order till you get it. You know, if you swab, get it right back in the mail. They're supposed to get it back to you within... A day or two. That's pretty awesome. I heard they're they're now doing like a mouth swab test, and you know, with varying accuracy as as any of these tests have. And so I was like, man, I'm you know wussing out on this. My mother got her test done, and she was negative. And I'm like, geez, here I am, like worried about it. But my dentist appointment is two weeks out. I don't have to lie to anybody, so that's that's good news. I'm glad we all decided to be honest in that situation. Uh, was that by choice or just by? situation uh so i i put off calling them for like four days last mm-hmm. week and then by the time i got around to calling they offered me like the 25th uh and i was like yep perfect it mm-hmm. worked out just mm-hmm. the way it was supposed to um i don't know if putting it off helped any or not <laughs> right uh we did get another comment kind of in line with stephanie's about the kids and body image and weight and, and i appreciated it our friend julie messaged us and mentioned that it was hard for her to listen to that because she grew up with uh, a lot of body image issues coming from her parents. And so, you know, it really made me step back for a second. Like I I talk about, and I talked about last week, how, you know, my family sort of has some inside jokes with our one daughter because she sat on a chair. She happens to be the heaviest kid only by like eight pounds from her twin sister, right? It's not like she's overweight at all in the least. Um, but she happens to be the heaviest kid, and so my son ribs her a lot for that. And she sat on a chair out back and broke it. And so, like, that's the joke mm. now. You know, whenever you sit on something, it's going to break, blah, blah, blah. And and I, I play into it a little, and I think I shared that last week a little bit, that we, we play in with some family-type jokes. But Julie was pointing out that, like, it was really hard for her to listen to that because of what she's dealt with for her entire life mm. since childhood because of that. And so it really – I just – I, I don't know that I've come to any firm decisions on it, but it definitely made me step back and say, hmm, maybe maybe joking isn't the way to go about this. Or maybe I at least need to take a, a, a more third-person look at how this could possibly affect the way she feels about herself and her eating for the rest of her life. Like, I, I shouldn't take it so lightly or just say, oh, it's a family joke. It must be good because it's inclusive. Yeah, and... 
So after the podcast, I went home, I don't know if it was that day or the next day, and started looking into, like, is it healthy for, you know, maybe there, because I think you had brought up, like, maybe there's a reason kids that, you know, at 11, 12 years old shouldn't be exercising. So I thought, well, I don't really know if that's true, so let me look into that and see. And so I started, you know, doing some reading and doing, and no one had a definitive answer on what age kids are supposed to start exercising or not, but one of the big things that I read multiple times was exactly that about you know stressing more the health versus the body image stuff mm. um and i think i've done that already like i've i've never tried to tell my son like oh you're fat you know what i mean it's not really that it's it's more for me i've approached it from the you know the lack of activity like they right. know me i'm very active i do stuff all the time. I'm not a sit around couch potato kind of person. Um, I like to do outdoor activities, yard work, whatever. I just like to stay active. Um, and so I try to push that more so than the body. But it really made me aware, like I gotta, I need to be ultra uh, aware of my language when I'm talking to him and, and really try to be conscious of what I say because I'm a person who weight has never been an issue. You know, just never right. has been. If anything, it was the other way. Like I was always super skinny and felt like I was, you know, too skinny, you know. Get the nickname, you know, string bean and stuff like that. So Skinny bones. <laughs> yeah, so I've never had to deal with being overweight. And, you know, so I can tend to be less sensitive just because I don't have that experience. So I've tried to be really aware of that. Um, and then I know with our kids, they've been different at different ages. Like, you know, my middle daughter was, I don't know, I'm going to say heavy, but she was heavier when she was young. Now she's hit puberty and she's matured out and she's good, healthy weight, very active. You know what I mean? And right. I wouldn't call her, my oldest daughter's very skinny, you know, and I think that's just her frame and her build, and my middle daughter's different, and I know my son's going to be different, and I'm okay with that. Um, I'm not I, – I think it is important, though. At, at some point, weight does affect health. You know what I mean? Right. It's one thing to be whatever, let's say 5, 10, 15 pounds overweight, and it's another thing to be obese where you can cause yourself respiratory and heart issues. You know? No, absolutely, absolutely. And that's kind of what we learned in the, the biology of obesity class was that like the recommended weight is actually not the healthiest weight for people. It's actually the one above that is what they're finding. People live longer at that step just above that, that like – semi-obese or whatever it's called i don't remember at this point but then as you go up levels from there to to obesity and and like you know real struggles with obesity that's the highest level that i'm obviously not describing well because words are not with me this morning but those do really come with a lot of complications for hearts for breathing for all kind of internal organ problems and diseases and so it's just an interesting thing, man. It's, it's something we got to be real careful of, the messages we send. And, and I know society sends those messages plenty, right? They're going to get them a lot. And, and and some of that gets even mirrored from me without me even, you know, that whole idea of when I'm being an unconscious person, I'm just giving them exactly what I got, right? right. The same messages I got from society. It's interesting. You also mentioned there that, like, you've always been skinny, and so it's easy to take it for granted. And I... 
just always takes me back when people say something like that to I constantly when I just do something well out of my nature for whatever fucking reason I'm blessed to do this one thing well I just question why the fuck everyone else can't <laughs> right. it's like right. I, I got my struggles they're just not there right? right and so why can't I just be more understanding that everybody has that struggle area um when it's funny be- okay. and just to, yeah. not to harp on that's too long but for me it's the healthy eating thing eating healthy is so fucking hard because i don't put on weight i can eat uh, cheeseburgers and fast food and cheesesteaks and french fries and i don't put on weight and people be like oh that's wonderful well no it's not fucking wonderful because i still have you know i can still get you know cholesterol and diabetes right. and all these other heart ailments you know those things don't just kill overweight people they kill you know, skinny people too. That's like going to the bar and having a drink and nothing happens. It's almost the worst thing that can happen because right. it's that false sense of security that, ah, oh, this is fine. There's no external difference. I must be healthy internally too. And yeah. it's. And I kept hearing my whole life, oh, when you get older, when you get older, when I'm fucking 45 years <laughs> old, I can still eat like shit every day. And I don't, <laughs> I'm still super thin. You heard it here first. So, but, but I, I mean, what I mean is I know the importance of eating well and it's such a struggle to try to do it you know it's it's hard i find it hard to eat well one when i'm less active i'm like when i'm active and i'm trying to do some kind of healthy routine of activity i find that it's easier for me to eat in line with that because i'm like oh yeah i gotta eat to fuel this Mm -hmm. this certain thing i did uh and when i don't it's like ah, i might as well just eat what the fuck ever but then if i have whatever it's hard for me to want to go back to the healthy thing because the the billion dollars they've spent, you know, creating this yeah. flavor is fucking incredible. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's really and good. Sugar, ah, sugar and fat together, it's so good. Um, we got an email. Moving on a little bit, we got an email from Christina, and she wanted to reach out and just tell us that she had found us on Instagram and started listening, and, and she really, really. Love the the podcast. It resonated with her. She binged a few episodes, and she step eight was the one she listened to last. And she talked about making the list. She was said she was only on step four, but it it really helped her to hear about the steps. She feels like she's coming right up on it. Um, and she liked the episode about spiritual, not religious, too. She's got about six months sober. Congratulations, Christina. Uh, really appreciate the email. Hopefully she reaches back out to us. We reached out to her to get some more information, but it, it's always nice to hear that. I was actually having a bad day when that email came through, and I, I didn't get to read it right that second, but I read like the, the highlights you see in your notifications, you know, the first little paragraph from it, and it, it brightened my day a little. It was like, man, okay, because sometimes I get I'm like, why are we still doing this? We should fuck this podcast, right? And I'm, <laughs> Like that's why we do it. We do yeah. it because you know it helps us, and and hopefully some other people get helped. Well, and to be honest, you know, and I think we just talked about this this morning. Like for me, a lot of this is I just like getting together with you and talking about recovery shit, and it helps me. It's a part of my process, you know, my commitment to my recovery, but also my growth and development, you know, as a person in recovery. Like we talk about some deep shit, and then. You know, like the honesty thing. Then we go home and it helps me reflect of like, hey, do I want to, you know, am I okay with this little bit of dishonesty in my life? Because that's what the fuck it is. Right. And if I don't come say it to you, I'll justify that shit in my head and then we'll be <laughs> off at the fucking Planet Fitness lying on application telling right. everybody it's okay. Right. You know? Exactly. And those are not things that I want to do. So I 
hope that it gets popular and people get something out of it, but I just enjoy getting together and talking about recovery shit. I know, and if you don't think we like talking, uh, the YouTube. (laughs) I mean, the the episodes are extended already, like way too far. We're always like, oh yeah, let's cap it between an hour and hour and fifteen, and we're like an hour and forty. And then if you go on YouTube and watch it, we don't even edit the videos, so you'll see that we talk for at least an hour before this, and that whole time we're like, man, we should really start the fucking podcast. Um, so anyway, that's a little bit of wrap up from last week. If you didn't listen to honesty, go listen to it. Of course, you know, join our conversations and have your input. That's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, wherever you're at on social media, we're there too. Fucking Reddit, whatever. We'll we'll find you. You find us. Um, and, and you know, have a say in this. We love to hear from people. We like other opinions. It gives us more to reflect on and think about. Uh, so now getting more to the topic of today, which we don't actually have a topic topic but uh i'm gonna start with a story and so if you don't want to hear me deviate from the story 46 times go ahead and skip forward so you can hear billy again um last night i had to go share a meeting i went i shared it went pretty well uh the last guy that shared from the floor was talking about a situation where the night previously he had played with his grandkids all day uh his daughter's children And then he returned them at like 7 o'clock so he could hit a meeting. And he returned them to the father. And, you know, the father had relapsed recently, but he seemed to be in all right shape, like he's still taking care of the kids. Um, And so he returned them to the father. They had a little conversation. The father said he was just drinking. And that was at 7 o'clock, and he went off to the meeting. His daughter got off work at 11. She came home, and he had overdosed. And And he has passed. And he was just sharing, like, some ideas about the pain that's left behind. Like, yeah, his pain's gone now, but it's all the pain left behind for the grandkids and for his daughter. And just how fucking abruptly this changes lives, right? And and it was sad to hear, um, but I'm leaving the meeting right after he shares that. And I have a text, and it's it's my wife, and she's like, oh, my God, we got to talk when you get home. Um, when are you getting home? You know, that kind of thing. And so I texted her, I'm like, is everybody okay? And she, you know, she's like, yeah, the kids are fine. Me and my parents and your mom and and my grandmother, we're all all right. Like, just when are you getting home? We need to talk. And listen, I'm not trying to pickle my wife, but she's done this before about, you know, wanting to change (laughs) the fucking color of the bathroom. So I I, I tried not to stress too much about it. It was like a 20 minute drive home. And what I thought about during that drive home was, I'm about to find out information that might change my life, right? And and I don't know how big or small that may be. Maybe, you know, they took, the bank took money from us, or maybe somebody gave us some money. I don't know. Um, But what is it like to be me right now before this life-changing news comes? And I don't know. It just seemed like an interesting thing to ponder since I didn't know what the fuck I was coming home to. And, uh, And I get home, and we walk out back, and, uh... My my oldest daughters, my twins, have a different mother, um, and she's been caught up in using for as long as I can remember, right? She she had the girls early on, and then it became obvious that she was using, and so I just took them and didn't give them back. And, you know, they've seen her sometimes since then in the years since, on and off, when she's doing better, I guess. Um, haven't really seen her much for quite a long time. I think the last time we saw her was right around last Christmas, we went down 
to, you know, see my mom, who still lives in the same neighborhood that I grew up in, and we watched the Christmas parade, and she came and, you know, hung out with us during that. Um, but apparently, uh, and and we don't know why, even though we probably know why, but she's, she's transitioned. She's deceased. She's no longer with us. And, like, in that moment of that information, it's like, how the fuck am I going to tell my daughters that their mother's dead? Right? And I don't know. And at the same time, I'm like, well, I don't want to sit here until I fucking figure it out. Like, they need to know now, not later. Like, they deserve to know. And so it's just a matter of calling them outside and, and, and telling them. And uh, what a hard thing to do. Yeah. You know, I I didn't have to go through that. Like, my parents gave me enough trauma in my childhood, but they were alive. And uh, how do you tell your kid that their parents not here anymore? Mm. And uh, I don't know. Like, I, it didn't really hit me then in the moment. I was actually, like, beating myself up for not feeling more about it. Uh, and I, apparently I'm feeling a little bit now. But I don't know, man. What, where the fuck do you go from there? Like, and my mother's like, you know, we kind of knew this was going to happen. Yeah, maybe. But I kind of, I always hoped for the fucking redemption story that I got blessed with, right? I always hoped that she would just pull out of it and make my life a pain in the ass for making me have to drive down there to see her and, and drop the kids off. And she would do better. And they'd be, she'd be able to apologize to them for missing so much of their life. And that shit's not going to happen now. So I, I, I don't know. Uh I'll let you talk for a minute. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, addiction is fucking taking a lot of people. I mean, again, I don't know if that's exactly what did it, but, you know, it whether it takes people, you know, literally through death or it just uh, negates their ability to have relationships either way, I don't know. I guess when people are still alive, there's always a hope that things are going to get better and there's a hope that you know it's it's going to change whereas once you know they're actually dead that doesn't happen anymore um but we've seen over the years in dealing with you know my stepdaughter she's uh her father is in and out of addiction and in and out of her life over the years i mean i've been uh in this girl's life for 20 years now and there's been times where her dad has done really well and he's been actively involved and really engaged with her and then times where he's fucking not around and nobody's even talked to him for years um and it's devastating to her when he's not around and as much as i can think whatever i want about the guy whether i think he's a piece of shit or whether i think he's okay or or whatever um to to her you know he's always a fucking hero you know, I'm still just the stepdad, and, and that's fine. I don't, I used to be resentful about that, and I'm not anymore. And I realized, like, with parents, like, I don't know, I've just always believed no one can take the place of your parents. People can try, and they can still love you, and they can take care of you, and you can have step parents that are amazing. Um, but there's something there with that relationship, you know, with an actual biological parent, you know, that's that means something to people. Uh, and I don't get it. I don't know the science behind it, if there is even any. Right. But there's a relationship there that, that matters in some way. Um, and, 
you know that this this guy always held a special place in her heart and when he's doing well and things are good we've spent christmases together and we've done things together and then there'll be times where she gets super upset you know where's my dad what's he doing i haven't talked to him in two years you know we don't fucking know um and that's got to be really really difficult for your daughters now you know to to lose someone who Again, I don't quite understand why, whether she has been there or not, to them, that's a meaningful relationship. You know, it, it carries some weight. Yeah, yeah, it does. I mean, uh, you know, we've known for the past few months, and, and the hardest, I guess one of the hard parts for me, not the hardest, but one of the hard parts for me is, like, she reached out a few months ago and said, oh, my God, I, I haven't been in touch with y'all because I was in the hospital going through this thing, I had a stroke, whatever, and for me, knowing my addict tendencies and the general tendencies of other people in active addiction, that may or may not be true, right? Like maybe <laughs> I was just too busy using to text right. you and now I need a good excuse. Right. So I was in the hospital. and But I, I, I tried to take it seriously to the best of my ability. And I'm like, all right, well, let's find out if we can go see her. And at some point she ended up in a like a nursing home type environment and we were getting ready to go see her and and it was all planned out. And we actually left the house and started driving down 95 and she hadn't texted him back. And then before we even hit the first exit, like she texted him and was like, Oh, I can't have visitors. And so we had to turn around and I know that was like really disappointing for him. Um, and then since then I've tried to make the effort to ask regularly, like, is she in a hospital right now? Is she somewhere we can go see her? Like I, I want, and I feel like they wanted that too, and it just never, they never got that visit. And it's like, do you regret that the rest of your, like, I don't know, man. There's just so much to this shit. But it, it all comes back to fucking drugs are killing people. Yeah. Like, this is a serious problem. And, and we can say how we feel about medically assisted treatments or, you know, this, that, or the other. But even with that, like she was on methadone at one point in time, according to her. Again, I, I only know so much uh, that what I get through, you know, conversations and, and what is true and not. But she was on that and it still wasn't the answer, really. So it's like it comes down to, well, what the fuck do we do? Like, how do we help how do we have, I mean, I've dated women over the years who I knew died at like 30 or younger from complications or from the disease. And, and, and there's millions of these people who leave behind kids that are going to be raised by not their biological parents. And it's like, what, what do we do for these people? Like, how do we help with this kind of grief and this kind of tragedy? Uh, well, that's difficult, you know, I think, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Loaded question. Um, yeah, that's, that's tough. There's, when people die, and, and this is for, I guess I'm going to say this part would probably be more for the non-addict audience or whatever, but when people die, whether they're addicts or not, like that death, it still hurts a lot of people, you know, they still have people that love them. Whether they deserve to be loved or not doesn't matter. You know, people still love them. They're still someone's kid. They're still someone's parent. They're still someone's brother, sister. And, you know, when those people die, it usually hurts or leaves a loss in someone's life. And any efforts that we can do to love and support people that are using to get into treatment, you know, are, are worth it. That's mm -hmm. my pitch there. 
Um, I don't necessarily, there's, there's lines you got to draw for enabling and stuff like that. But as far as trying to get people into any kind of treatment or any kind of recovery or any kind of push towards, you know, the right path, whether it be, you know, medicated assisted treatment or counseling or, you know, whatever, inpatient or outpatient, even if they've been before, like, just don't give up. Keep encouraging them. Hey, you've been to fucking rehab seven times, maybe an eighth time, maybe eight's the trick, you know, who knows? Because there are people out there that have that story that I've been to treatment I don't know how many times. I've been in and out of counseling. I've been to methadone five times. And then that one time they get it. Um, But, again, not to beat a dead horse, but we know that shaming people and guilting them and trying to, you know, look what you're doing to your family. Look what you're doing to your children. Look at, you know, shaming and guilting and, and beating them up over their using doesn't work. Um, but as far as the, the loss, I think it's important that as a recovery community, we try to set up, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, like groups or, or supports to be like, uh, empathetic, to be, uh, loving and caring towards these people, even though they might've overdosed and died, that, that we still try to do our part. Um, I know with, my daughter's stepfather, and it sounds like with your uh, daughter's mother that you try to encourage and keep pushing that relationship. Um, I'll be honest, in the beginning, I didn't. I, I was like, fuck that guy. He doesn't deserve to be around. He's not paying any child support. He's not doing anything. I'm paying for this kid. You know what I mean? Fuck him. <laughs> um, and that's how I felt, you know, because yeah. I was raising this kid, and I didn't feel like that was my responsibility. I didn't feel like that was fair. You know, here I am getting my shit together. I mean, I was still early in recovery, you know. I'm still getting my life together, and I got to work and pay for my kids, and I'm paying for his kid, and he's out fucking getting high. You know, I was angry. Um, And it was my wife that got me to understand, like, no matter what, she never wanted to be an impediment to the relationship between his her daughter and the child. You know what I mean? Like the daughter and her ex-husband. And that... That needed to that relationship needed its own uh, space beyond you know my ego and her ego and whatever we felt like we fucking were entitled to or deserved. That for her daughter's sake, that we needed to do whatever we could to encourage and and build that relationship, and we did, you know, right. and we did. And if, it sounds like from what you're saying is you know at least within the last couple months or. I don't know historically but if you were doing that for your daughters like that's the best thing you can do for them uh, we don't get to control the outcomes of how that goes you know it, it mm-hmm. still may never be not you know still may never happen the way that our kids hope they would um but you know i think our part or at least mine as a step parent or yours as a parent is is not to be an impediment to those relationships Right. It, let's uh, pause here for our break. Obviously, on a complete change of tone, there's a rubber ducky race, which doesn't sound... <laughs> we're a little somber for a fucking rubber ducky race. But, um, we're never too somber for a rubber ducky race. That's coming up. I think what I'll do, because I've made it impossibly hard to describe the Google search, is just I'll put the link to the page where you fucking buy a rubber ducky on our show notes and then you can just look under the podcast and click the link and it'll be easier to find so hopefully i'll remember to do that but uh that's coming up so get your your five dollar duck i believe it is i i will say right now 
if I win, just inspired by this moment, I'm going to give that money to some recovery resource or people that are trying to help. Probably Voices of Hope because we love them. Because um, <clears throat> it just seems really important right at this moment. Uh, so we'll take a break and we'll be right back. This episode has been brought to you by Voices of Hope, Inc., a nonprofit grassroots recovery community organization located in Maryland. Voices of Hope is made up of people in recovery, family members, and allies. Together, members strive to protect the dignity and respect of those that use drugs and those in recovery by advocating for treatment, support resources, and mentoring. Please visit us at www.voicesofhopececilmd.org and consider donating to our cause. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, back and talking about, unfortunately, sadder or darker topics than we usually like to. We like to keep it light and, and you know, I will continue to try to uh, in spite of. So you had mentioned, you know, the talk about... Uh, not really wanting, you know, your daughter, your, your stepdaughter's father to be in her life or, or the entitlement or all that. And I look, I've definitely I can relate. I've had that. I've had the selfish thought. Because, you know, I didn't want to deal with any kind of court or custody battles before, like, man. And this was, I don't know, 10, 7, some kind of years ago. But the, definitely the selfish thought of God, if she wasn't here, it would be so much easier. Wouldn't have to worry about any of that. Wouldn't have to drive them over the, you know, rainbow to fucking see her from time to time when she pops up and decides to rearrange my life because now I got to take them to see her. Because, of course, she doesn't have a car. She's just getting clean or not clean even at times. Um, Oh, God, we got to go do this. We got to go do that. Man, my life would be easier if she wasn't here. I've had that fucking thought, right? But thank God to a program that's allowed me to know that that's a really selfish thought when I think it and not follow through with it. Right. I, I have been bitter at times about her lack of involvement. God, I remember when I first got my daughters, she was claiming them on some kind of Pennsylvania, you know, assistance that she was getting a check for. So here she is getting a check and spending it probably on drugs and here I am with my daughters, and I apply for, like, Maryland assistance, and they won't give it to me because I can't mm-hmm. prove that she doesn't have them, even though they're with me all the time. And it's like, well, I, yeah, there's some bitterness in there at times, right? But I I have done my best. I made it a personal point because I've seen other people operate in this way that I was not going to ever let that come into my conversations with them. Right. That was going to be something that I could be bitter about somewhere else and I could talk about with my sponsor or my wife or whoever. But when I talked to them, I was never going to paint her in a bad light for the struggle she had. And and thank fucking God. Right. Those are the kind of things, like you said, that bring me a little bit of relief now. Like I've I did my best to try to facilitate some kind of relationship between them. And I never made her out to be any kind of bad guy. It was just somebody who's struggling and hopefully she can get it together. Um, 
part of the the problem with that, uh, like the the hope, right? And like you mentioned, we if they're still alive, we can live with this this hope that one day they get it, one day they wake up, whatever it is that that happened for us, right? The, I kind of almost have the the survivor's guilt uh, of like, well, why the fuck did I get it and she couldn't? Like I, I don't know, right? I didn't do anything different than her. I don't know why this clicked for me and and it didn't for her, but. Should we even like the hope is almost harder, right? Like we live with this hope and maybe it's because we're hoping for a particular outcome. Maybe the hope just needs to be more garden variety, like generalized hope that I'll get through life or that I'll be able to be happy in spite of these tough times that I go through or. So maybe you need to watch more Star Wars because they'll give you a good idea. Hope always comes at the end of struggles. <laughs> like, uh. You, know, you got to go through the major struggle before you can get, you know, before you really experience hope. You right. know, it's like, um, no, but that was a bad joke. <laughs> but, you know, uh, first thing, you know, with a lot of these relationships when we try to maintain them with people that are maybe actively using because we have to or whatever well we don't have to we choose to um for in our case what i didn't get in the beginning and you had touched on it there with the selfish part is that it's not really about me and what i want it's about you know the the kid and what they want Mm. you know and for your kids you know what you did what was best for them not necessarily for you know their mother i mean you're not doing it for her right She's an indirect. She gets indirect benefit from you loving your kids and trying to, you know, do those things for them. Um, one small disclaimer I would say though is there are some parents out there that are maybe uh, dangerous or put their kids mm. at risk or do some things that that aren't healthy. Um, and I think those are boundaries that individuals need to make. When I say you should do whatever you can to maintain these relationships, I think it should be when they are, you know, safe and, and you're not putting your kids in some sort of harm's way. You know what I mean? You don't want to ignore obvious warning signs. I know. can't tell you how many nights I prayed before I took them to see her that, like, is this the right fucking thing to do? Because right. I don't know her level of wherever she's at, and I don't know how safe they are at times, and I'm really trusting that she's at least in a place where they'll be able to come back alive. Right. And that requires discernment and, and knowing, you know, there's, there's other options too of saying, Hey, maybe we can all go somewhere together for a couple of hours. Mm -hmm. We can go to a park, we can go to whatever, we can go do something outside somewhere where you can hang out with them and be together with them. You know, those are things that I think we need to be aware of with using people because not everybody using is safe. And, and some of these people, even again, I know me with the best intentions, you know, probably still when I was using would put my kids in the car with me drunk, you right. know, and, and think that I was fine and think that it was fine for them. Um, but, you know, again, we got to try to think of the, the kids seem to be for me, one of the most, innocent victims in most of this addiction story that we hear so often and and when i see families you know and they have kids young kids you know especially once it's like when they're so young they might get through it okay then they get to that middle age between like five to like 15 which seems to be probably the most critical age of you know 
they really are aware of what's going on with their parents. I mean, they're not aware enough to know how to get the needs met, but they're aware enough to know that they're not getting what the fuck they need out of life. And, right. and uh, you know, you see kids really harmed by addiction in that time frame. Um, and it sucks, you know, it, it sucks. It's like, what do we do for kids that families are using? What do we do for kids that parents overdose and die to to get them into loving environments um what seems to happen now is it ends up you know these people use and they die and then that burden falls on either the other parent that's remaining or grandparents or the social services system um and that you know was one of the things that inspired me we didn't follow through on it we may at some point but like my wife and i thought about getting into foster parenting Mm -hmm. Um, to become foster parents. And at the foster parent meeting, they actually said, yeah, with the rate of addiction and overdose right now, we are overwhelmed. Like in Cecil County, the the foster care system is overwhelmed with kids, direct result of addiction and using. And it's fucking sad, you know. It's really sad that these kids are these innocent victims in all of this. One of the uh, incredible things that actually is going on right now with Cecil County is they have a what's called the trauma grant for short, and basically any child that's affected by uh, substance use in any way, shape, or form is provided the county the grant pays for therapy for them through a, a local clinic that we have. They're allowed to go see a therapist, and, and it covers that. And as long as a kid is being seen anybody in that immediate family can be seen and i say immediate i mean grandparents whoever it is that's helping with the kid like as long as the kid is being taken care of first because that's what the grant is most about it extends to all kinds of people in that family and so a much needed service right something Mm -hmm. that that a lot of these people probably wouldn't be able to get you've got retired grandparents trying to care for their grandkids and might not have the medical coverage or whatever it is that that they would need or the money to get them into therapy and now they're getting you know first class therapy treatment which is great and yet in you know working with that counseling center knowing like a lot of the people that come in um and not to speak about any in specific but just the fact that in general that population man needs so much help like there's so much devastation from the loss of parents and then you got the grandparent who doesn't have the means to raise kids whether it be their age they're just too old to deal with like that's a big generation gap right uh whether it be the financial aspects of it whether it be their lifestyle maybe they're still trying to work but now they got to take care of a kid and get him to school at the same time the anger they're dealing with about losing their kid to the disease of addiction, whether that be physically through through a death or, like you said, just the fact that they're not around, so they might as well be, you know, let's say might as well be dead, but they, for all intents and purposes, they have no contact, so that's not right. any use to you. And so you've got the grandparent dealing with that anger and yet still trying to raise a kid, and I don't know, it's hard for me to relate to my kids, right? <laughs> Much less another generation removed where they're coming from a completely different place, and so... Just the the conflict in these families. And also, you know, the unspoken thing, and and I'm not trying to bash any grandparent that's trying to raise a kid right now that that they have to out of necessity, but chances are, and this might sound awful, chances are the parent that was using 
it had something to do with the trauma that came from their childhood home, which right. was where the grandparent was. Right. And now we're throwing the kid right into that yeah. fucking same lion's den. And it's like, it's a brutal situation, man. It's tragic. Yeah. I, I don't have the answers for that. I just, I mean, at least the grant's there and they get to therapy. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think they're... One of the answers is, you know, recovery, whatever we can do to get people in recovery. I mean, hopefully with this situation, like you're in recovery now, you're stable now in your life. You can provide this love and support you and your wife and, you know, can help to raise your girls in a healthy environment. You know, hope it's healthy. I don't know. We talk like it's healthy. (laughs) Right. I'll pretend it is. Um You know, that you can provide that stability and that so that even if they didn't get it from their mother, they at least get some semblance of normalcy in a stable household and, and all that. Um, I, I, just like you said, I think breaking these chains of uh, cycles of use and addiction and you know abuse, like trying to break that cycle is critical. You know, it's critical, whether that comes from... You know, a parent getting in recovery or grandparents or or family members, you know, getting those kids out of that environment. You know, I don't know. That's what's really hard. I I look at, I think one of the hardest parts for me is like what to do now, right? Um, I, you know, I've dealt with fucking scrapes and bruises and, you know, you give your kid a hug and put a bandaid on and and they feel better later or, or some minor you know, emotional hurts, uh, probably more what I've dealt with is having to apologize for damaging emotionally <laughs> my kids, right? When I'm a, a jerk for a few minutes and I lose tro- control of myself. But ha- like, how do you fucking console somebody that's lost a parent? And I, I guess that's exacerbated for me from losing my father at 26 and how devastating it was for me. And knowing that nothing anybody said fucking helped at all. Like, I really just wanted to tell people to shut the fuck up no matter what they said. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I went through it too. Oh, and I'm like, shut the fuck up. I hate everybody right now. Like, I just don't, I'm so angry at the world for robbing me of my father and the relationship I had with him. And like, so what the fuck do you do for somebody when you know nothing works? Right. Right. And and you mentioned something uh, in the break. Yeah. So in talking with my sister, uh, my sister, my nephew was actually killed by an addict. Well, I'm going to call him an addict. I don't know if he was an addict. It was a guy who was using all, you know, strung out on pain meds and alcohol. And he actually had, had his license revoked because he was on his fifth or sixth DUI. And, you know, was. Anyway, he ran a red light and killed her son at 17. Mm. And uh, she now actually runs a support group for families of overdose people. So even though her son was killed by an addict, you know, or someone that was using, you know, she's found a way to take that pain and and try to help other people. Um, But in talking with her over the years, like one of the things that she's talked about is, you know, it's it's good to talk about those people, you know, even though it sometimes can be hard and difficult and painful. Like she doesn't mind if I call up and say hey i was thinking about you know christopher today or i know today it was his birthday so i call her on his birthday um around the holidays to like bring him up to mention his name things like that like that is for uh like emotionally 
uh, challenged person like myself, like that's mm. the hardest fucking thing in the world. Like I want nothing more than to avoid any sort of deep emotional conversation most of the time. Um, but those things are meaningful, you know, to the people that lost someone. Uh, for your daughters, it may just be, you know, maybe now or soon saying, hey, look, you know, I know this is hard for you guys. If you ever have any questions about your mom or things you want to know or or things, you know, that I can help you with, you know, that that line of communication should always be open. Feel like you can talk to me about it. I'll tell you what I know. I'll I'll share with you what I can. Right. And so and that's where I was alluding to this gets trickier for me and and even more difficult than it already is just to have these awkward conversations. I you know, when we first told him, um my wife and I basically each just grabbed one and hugged him and 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 held him. Um what the fuck else do you do, right? And, and they kind of gathered themselves a little bit after some time and went inside and just, you know, chilled in their room, which isn't anything out of the ordinary. They're teenagers. They spend most <laughs> right. of their time in their room. Um, and when we were putting my sons to bed, we, I went in and just sat with them for a few minutes and, and basically just let them know exactly that. Look, I'm across the fucking hall. Like, I, I don't care if you want to talk at me. I don't care if you want me to just fucking babble for a while. I don't care if you want to sit in the same room and look at our phones together so you're not alone. Like, I'm right across the fucking hall. It doesn't matter when. Come knock on the door and, and we can do whatever, right? But the tricky and difficult part for me when you talk about talking to somebody is that uh, due to my acting out uh, in, you know, different forms of, of addiction. Uh, I, I don't know their mother that well, to be completely frank. Right. Um, she was from my neighborhood. Like we had kind of had some interactions while we were using just here and there running, crossing paths. Um, at one point she was trying NA for a while and, and I ended up relapsing or I was just coming back from, I don't even remember the whole exact story, but like I ended up in prison and she ended up in a detox and we were like pen pals for a little while. And then I wasn't even out of prison yet. I was actually in like a halfway house, but still locked up and I got a pass to leave and I went and visited her in a detox and we had sex on a fucking tree stump on a walk. Like, we we did not have the relationship where I can have, like, three years of knowledge to draw on to say, oh, your mother did this and she liked this. And I don't know much about her, right? This was a uh, an unfortunate circumstance where, where I don't have the answers that they seek for a lot of it, right? Like, I never even – their mother was very unclear about how old she was. Like, we were debating what year she was born at one point. Like, she wasn't even sure. And, and so they're going to have this list of questions that I wish I could provide more information about. And, and, and honestly, the tragedy of addiction, right? There's nobody fucking left that knows. Uh, their mother was one of four sisters, um, one who has a, a – you know, lives with a mental situation who, who's still never evolved and grew up, basically. Um, still very young-minded, even in an adult body. The other two sisters, besides their mother, have already died from this disease of addiction. The, the mother of them, the grandmother, is already passed on. Like, there's nobody fucking left. To even neighbor, like, is there going to be a funeral or a viewing? I'm like, probably not. Like, who the fuck would put it on, right? Right. Who would do this kind of thing? My, my wife's like, well, maybe we should 
uh, claim the, I'm like, how can we, can we claim the ashes? I don't fucking know. Like, I, I don't have to have any ties to this lady per se. Like my daughters might, maybe she's got an older son somewhere that nobody ever talked. Like, it's just so fucking dysfunctional. The whole disease has been like through the whole family, like wildfire. And what's left is this tragic end of them not feeling any ability to find out more information or know any more about her. And so that's where it's like, I'm willing to walk through the difficult conversation, but I just feel like I, I'm useless and don't have the information. Yeah, so, and this is hard for, I think, you and me, because we're analytical people, but having the answers isn't always the point of the mm. conversation. You know okay. what I mean? It's that listening and caring and, you know, sometimes saying, I don't know. <laughs> like that's that's an okay answer. It's not for fucking me ever. Then you know I don't know is never good enough. But apparently for emotional people that is okay. <laughs> like, because what they really want is just to know that you care, that you're listening, that what they think or feel matters. You know, and and you know some of those tough conversations you know might be like. I don't. Do you guys have an interest in getting your ashes? Would you like to try to do something? Maybe they would. Maybe they wouldn't. Right. Um, and then if they say yes, then say, "Well, I, you know, I don't know how this is going to go. I've never done this before. You better start doing your do chores because that shit ain't cheap." <laughs> yeah. But, but you know what I mean, like, and just being honest. And and at some point, I probably probably say not right now, but at some point in the future, like that conversation about how addiction you know ravages families is probably a conversation worth having you know just to see like look this is when we start using and heading down this path like this is the result you know i don't know about you but i had this glorious uh i don't know what you want to call it like hollywood uh you know grunge music version of using that you know we were all gonna get high and and be somber and you know shit was gonna be fun right you know and and the reality was never laid out to me in a way (laughs) that might have been helpful and i don't know if i was ready to hear it at 15 16 17 years old um but because no one ever wanted to have those conversations, because it was easier to avoid, you know, and just to tell me, well, you're not supposed to do that. If you do that, you're going to go to jail and, you know, those kind of things. You know, my parents never had an honest – my mom was raised in a household with a guy who was an alcoholic that was abusive and violent and died a violent death. And she would never have an honest conversation about what that was like, her upbringing, any of that stuff. I don't know if it would have influenced me at all, but I, it could have happened. You know what I mean? Right. Like, and we don't know what helps people find recovery. We don't know what helps people stay, you know, like, hey, maybe that's not such a great idea. Um, what I do think and tying back into our question of last week is like uh, dishonesty or painting some rose-colored picture you know, and ignoring the reality and, and ignoring the the honest results of addiction don't fucking help. Yeah, I so I don't know. My experience was, and I don't know that anybody told me, <clears throat> I don't know that anybody in my household was specific enough to know, you know, I don't know if they were informed to say, oh, well, this is the kind of path addiction takes and this is where it leaves families and blah, blah, blah. But 
I know the old timers when I was like a rookie at using in my neighborhood and, and running the streets, the old timers in the neighborhood informed me, you don't want to do this, son. That's a fucking <laughs> terrible idea. You're going to end up here or here or here where everybody that uses ends up. And I was like, ah, that ain't going to happen to me. That's what you fucking idiots did, right? Like I'm too smart or good or young or not caught up for that. Like I had every reason why it wouldn't be me. Um, and not that I won't take the time to, you know, try to get as detailed and, and explain as much as possible with them. I just don't know. I don't know what kind of track record that has for helping people who know it all. Uh, Maybe that's the difference of what people find recovery and what people don't, because so many people are introduced to recovery and not everybody gets it. And we don't know what things lead to you know why some people get it and some don't like you said we don't know why it sticks to some and not to others but maybe some of those stories of you know this is what really happens this is the outcomes of living this way you know Mm. and you know who knows that could be it planting a seed right there's a seed planted there you mentioned the the i don't know i've actually uh i've found that to be a cheat code in my life lately (laughs) for real uh yeah i don't like not knowing but i found with most of my kids questions about anything throughout a day if i just say i don't know i don't have to fucking think about it or answer it i'm like man this is great can i get on the xbox i don't know (laughs) can i eat i i I don't know you should probably ask your mother (laughs) Kind of being a shitty person with it, honestly, pushing it all on my wife. Well, uh, there's a follow up to that is then you got to teach them how to learn or how to know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just That's going with I don't know. <laughs> the cheat code to parenting. Yeah. I don't know. Um, you mentioned your, your sister, you know, finding purpose. And I feel like if I can give my kids anything through this, what I really want to give them is my not my understanding of a higher power but the idea that it's useful to have some understanding of something and and I know from your standpoint that's not particularly a god but just a belief in something right something that gives our life meaning and purpose and uh I'd love to give them a way to turn this pain into a purpose right I feel like the people who most excel at life after tragedy are the ones who find a way to use that tragedy to fuel purpose in their life. And so I I don't know how exactly to do that. Um, You know, we mentioned we we pull into the place where we record this morning and I guess it's Overdose Awareness Month, which I should probably know this kind of shit being a, a podcaster of recovery topics. But They've got, you know, 50 crosses out on their front lawn to represent the people who've overdosed in the last year in, in our small county alone. And, uh, you know, I think they're going to hold signs up on the last day of the month as cars drive by to try to raise awareness. Uh, and, like, could they do something like that? Would they find any purpose in that? Or would they find purpose in helping people who struggle or, or I, I don't know, right? My The general purpose I find in everything for my life is somehow through the whatever tragic feeling or whatever that's going on, when I get to the other side, I'm able to share with somebody who's going through it after me. Um, and so maybe that's what their purpose could be, right? Helping the people that, that lose people after them once they've gotten to a better place. I, I don't know how to give that, but I just find that that's so crucial to have meaning. 
Yeah, and I don't know, I, and I should know this, but I don't know if there is either around here or around uh, regionally, if there are support groups for children of addicts who have overdosed, you know. I know there's for, there's, uh, why is the names escaping me? The group that my sister runs is typically the parents of hmm. um, people that have overdosed, but... I think it's parents and family members, uh, but I don't know if they have a lot of young people participate in those meetings as well. But you figure teens or or kids would have a different perspective, you know, yeah, a different kind of support. That's interesting. There is a uh, a grief group at the counseling center that I'm familiar with, but I don't know if they take any kids into theirs either. I, I just don't know, and and that's like you said. Uh, there's some relief in that, right? I'm not fucking supposed to know. Like, nobody gave me the manual to study in a college class. Like, oh, hey, when your kid's uh, other parent overdoses and dies, this is what the fuck you do and how you handle it. Like, I I never got that. Like, nobody told me that shit. I I have no clue. And that's, it's okay to have no clue. Um, I will say the blessings of recovery. I'm here today. Right, I I am the stable parent. They're not with a grandparent. It wasn't both of us out there using. It wasn't both of us that have passed on. Um, but what that requires is vigilance, right? Because I ain't immune. I could use. This is more purpose for me, honestly. Like this, this reignites the fire of bro. You need to stay the fuck on top of what you're doing because you were what they got left. Yeah. And you're important. And it's it's always been funny to me because as much of a fucking egomaniac as I tend to be, I have w- seen, you know, friends or people that I know or people in recovery overdose and use. And I've seen them overdose and, and not use and overdose and wreck their lives and mm-hmm. shit. And I have never felt above that. You know what I mean? Like I know the way that I use and the, the way that what happens to me once I start down that road is I am not above, you know, any of the terrible parenting decisions, parent, you know, terrible life decisions that I see people make when they're using. Like, I will do all of those things, and I am grateful that I'm not in denial about that. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I we talked about it. I said, I don't know how you describe it, maybe somber gratitude, but, like, when I see people overdose and see other people suffer, I just think, fuck, thank God, you know, that I found this thing called recovery. Like, thank God I'm clean today because that could easily be me. And, you know, whatever is going on in my relationship with my kids and my wife and all that could be ten times worse if I was using, you know, or non-existent. Right, <laughs> you know? right. Yeah, one of the things I've always gotten and found to be the most powerful, so my kids uh, all came after my my recovery started. Um, You know, they still got some really shitty parts of me early on, for sure, but, like, hopefully I continue to grow and change that and, and give them better parts of me that are coming out. But when people share in a meeting about the ways they interacted with their kids during active addiction or, or drug use, whatever you'd like to call it, um, I've always found that to be some of the most powerful things for me and messages that really hit like deep in my soul because I'm like, it's never been what a piece of shit you are for sharing that or doing that. It's always been, 
fuck, that's the guy I would be. Mm-hmm. That's exactly who I would be. And one in particular always stands out. My friend Bobby, she shares about how she left one day. She left like a seven-year-old in charge of a two-year-old. And she left to get uh, what she needed to do that day to get well. And when she got home, the first thing she saw was uh, it was one of those stand-up plastic um you know, seats that you feed babies in, Jesus Christ, a high chair, whatever. And and it was fucking burned up Mm. and her heart dropped. Right. And and thankfully her kids were upstairs, but she's like, in that moment, I didn't know what the fuck I did. I left a seven year old in charge of making food for a two year old. And she's like, I I thought I had like, I thought I had, and it always just hurts me inside to think about it. And thank God that's not what happened, but it's like, that's the kind of shit that keeps me clean, man. I, it's not about just me today, right? And I'd have never saw that without the program because it was always only about me. Right? Right. That's all anything right. was about. And, and, and like you said, like that's the blessing of, of being able to all this time know their relationship with their mother had nothing to do with me, right? It was always about like what's best for them. Yeah, I was silently in my bedroom, <laughs> right. bitter that their mother didn't have to do any work, and I had to like always transport them and all that shit, and drive four hours to fucking wherever she decided to move this month. And but it was never outwardly about me. And and thank God, dude, because that's not the guy I am, right? And and I don't know. There's debate about you know who you really are, whatever. Like when I got here, that's not the fucking guy I was. I was a selfish, self-serving dick. Right. And and there's moments in my life when I'm still that guy. There's a lot of moments in my life that I can just step back and be like, who the fuck just said those kind words out of my mouth? <laughs> because I love that person. And that's who I really want to be. Yeah. And I think there's, you know, some opportunity with your kids to be like, I don't know what the fuck we're doing here. Like, this is a new thing for me, too. And... You know, maybe we just walk through this together and we figure it out as we go as a fucking family. You know, you have two different, you know, two two daughters or twins. They're probably going to react to it different. You know, as you've said, their relationship with their mother was different. You know, so it's probably going to affect each of them in a different way. Um, And those are things that there aren't easy answers to. You know, there aren't there there isn't like a magic. Hey, we just do this and that takes care of it and we're good. It's yeah. so crazy to learn from from a, a learning and understanding therapy standpoint to know that they're going through the exact same emotion <laughs> and having such different reactions to it and, and different processes. It's fucking weird. And so, like, I've learned about me, like, my – and I know we talk about the stages of grief and how they're a thing. I, mm. I don't know. I process them. I tend to process grief differently. So for me, usually, like whenever a grief thing happens, my first go-to is shut off all emotion and what needs to be done now. I'm the logistics person Mm. in the moment. You know what I mean? Do we need to make fucking arrangements? How do we need to get from here to there? Who needs to do what? How do we get this done? What do you need? And I go into that mode, and I get real high-functioning for a little bit of time, you know, however, until stuff is done. And then once the stuff is all done and things sort of slow down and life starts to get back to normal, then, like, the grief will hit me. You know, after my mom, it was, obviously the funeral was tough and that stuff was kind of tough. But it really didn't hit me until 
you know, like a week or so later. And, and once all that stuff was done and life gets back to normal, and then you're like, wow, this fucking person is gone. Like, they won't be here anymore. Right. You know, and, and then I start to process the grief after that. Um, other people, it fucking hits them right away, and they become, you know, whatever, useless for days. You know, right. they just can't function. They can't even fucking eat. They can't take care of themselves. Um, so even though they have these stages of grief, we all go through that shit different. That first version sounds so much like me avoiding a school paper. I'm like, oh, my God, I'll fucking paint the house. I'll chop the tree up out back. Fuck that paper, right? I'll right. deal with the hard shit later. And that's kind of exactly what you know some of us choose to do. We'll, we'll deal with the harder aspects of it later. Um, yeah, I, I don't have answers. Um, thank God for being in a place where I, I don't feel like I have to at all. I just... I do wish I had, like, some way forward that I understood, and, and, and to an extent I do, right? I, I have the understanding to just show up and, and be present and check in on them frequently and let them know I'm available, and, you know, if they want to sit in silence, I can sit in silence with them. I don't have to feel the need to talk, uh, and if they want to talk, I can definitely babble away because, obviously, we, we show that I'm good at that, Um but I still, there's always that search for like, ah, but there's got to be a right thing, right? <laughs> there's got to be a right thing to yeah. say. There's got to be a, a next right action. And, and I just don't think there is in tough situations, man. It's like a, you know, just kind of feel your way through it. Try to be present with whatever's going on with whoever needs you and, and go from there. Yeah, It's fucking scary, though. And that's the other thing. Like, I know for me, I want to always give advice. And sometimes <sighs> giving advice is the worst fucking thing to do. Sometimes it's, you know, the best thing you can do for someone <laughs> suffering is just to say, wow, I'm, I'm really sorry. That sounds like it sucks. Yeah. You know, and, and if, I, if you need anything, if there's anything I can do for you, just let me know. But, you know. That really sucked. <laughs> you know, like. and, and, and that's kind of where I'm at, right? Yeah. And so we have an 11-year-old and a 5-year-old and a 1-year-old. The 1-year-old obviously is just going to be, you know, toddling around like a baby like she does. The 5-year-old, we're trying to discuss this with him and explain what they're going through and how it might be really tough to lose your mommy and all this kind of stuff. And, and you know, he's like, he's already told my daughter to suck it up and... <laughs> And he said he's got miracle hugs, and if they just hug him for 21 minutes, they'll be fine. And I'm like, what the fuck do you even do with this guy? Like, I don't even know. I'm like, dude, the best thing you could do, honestly, is just shut the fuck up, right? And he sucks at shutting up. He does not stop talking. I'm like, oh, my God, this is going to be a tragedy at some point. Um, I don't know. Do you have anything else about grief or, or, or death or tragedy or or how to fucking help people who we don't want to lose i don't know that there's an answer yet maybe no. and i think that's the thing I, everyone goes through it everyone death is part of life and we all it lose is. people and we all go through it and there's you know especially for addicts there's this thing where we just think we're supposed to fucking avoid it like the plague you right. know what i mean like like i just want it to go away i just want it to stop and uh you know, one of those things as I've gotten older in recovery and, and into meditation, it's like, no, it's okay to sit with your feelings and it's okay to be sad and it's okay to be in a stage of grief and to fucking miss people. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like times it hits me. I mean, I miss my nephew. You know, we shared a birthday. We grew up kind of together. My sister had him real young. So she lived at home with my parents and me and my brother because she's older than me. 
Um, so we he lived with us his first bunch of years of life. So I saw him as a baby and watched him grow up. And like I say, we always seem to have a good I miss him sometimes, you know. And there are days I give myself the freedom just to miss him. Whereas in the past, I'd be like, shut that shit down. I'm at work. I'll fucking, I don't have no time for this. Same with my mom, you know. I'll miss my mom sometimes. I'll just, I'll get sad and I'll miss her. And learning that, like, it's okay. That's that's okay. Like, it's okay for me to feel that way. It's okay for other people to... Because I used to hate that shit. People put, like, their Facebook post, Oh, I missed my mom today. If you lost your mom, you can relate. You know, like, fuck you. <laughs> like, you're fucking... You know, so dumb. You know, same. Suck it up. Fucking... <laughs> Life goes on. I think I, I, I've probably been just as annoyed by that kind of stuff. Mine is just, for me, I think... I, it's more of a personal thing, and so I don't want to broadcast it. I guess maybe that helps some people to broadcast yeah. it, right? I, I too, I miss my father, right? It's been fucking 14 years at this point, and it hasn't really changed the fact that I miss him, and I wish I could talk to him. Um, I just, I wish there was some, uh, maybe, is N.A. not working? Like, we, we, we get that it works for some and not for others. We've always kind of had that understanding, but we've never really known why or I don't think that anything else we've come up with yet, any of these other recovery modalities that we explore, like they all are neat and work for a certain type of person maybe or or certain people find them and they work. But is there still something left untouched? Is there still some way that we could truly reach everyone that we're just missing because these measures work for some? Um. There are, I think there are ways we can reach more people. I don't know that it has anything specifically to do with NA. NA is its thing, and it has a purpose and a structure and a system that works for certain people. Um, I think there are more things we can do in society as far as not, you know, criminalizing addiction, realizing that, yes, this is a social fucking disease. Like, it's, it's a sign that our society is sick and that people are fucking hurting. You know, whether it's from abuse, neglect, whatever trauma they suffered, whether it's physical pain, emotional pain, you know, there's, to me, these are, like, when you look at addiction and see, like, it's trauma happening in your community. And what do we do with that trauma? I think where society falls down is, you know, are we doing enough as a society to reach out to these fucking kids that have lost parents to addiction? Or do they just get shoved into the social services system and then sent on to, you know, a foster parent who's probably trying. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt and say they're even good people. But are these people fucking even remotely aware of how to deal with that kind of trauma? Whatever trauma they've come out of and then the trauma of losing a parent or a loved one. You know, and do we do enough to address those things? Do we do enough to address, you know, physical abuse, sexual abuse, neglect, poverty in our communities? Like, it's such a big thing. Um, And you bring up one of the things that we do know uh, in general. This isn't obviously 100% across the board, but from like the social work field, people get into social work to help others usually because they have a fucked up life that needed help, right? And so all these people that even go into these court-appointed advocates or foster parent roles, like they're usually coming from the best place, but they're also usually trying to fix something with themselves at the same time. And so that, that best intentions doesn't always play out to be the best position to help someone from. And like we know that. We know that's true in a in a 
large percentage of people that try to help is, is they've come from a place where they needed help, and not all of them have addressed that yet. And so all the best intentions in the world, they're still putting somebody, you know, in the frying pan or, or in the fire, possibly. Yeah. And then, you know, unfortunately, I mean, even if you open up every door and every resource to some people, they're just not going to be willing, you know. Whether it's they're not willing to just face the pain and mm. deal with their trauma or whether they're not, they don't have the ability to fucking be honest with themselves. I mean, I don't know, you know. It's just nothing's ever going to work for everybody. So why am I always so fucking surprised by life, right? Like, I know shit's coming. That's how life works. Uh, Particularly with, uh, you know, this situation, knowing she's a using addict, and this could very well happen on any given day, and and somewhat anticipating it. Even when you know shit's coming, it still feels like such a shock. And it's like, how the fuck, why can't I be more in tune with just understanding that the next shock's on the way? Um, in fairness to you, I think you are because you've reacted to all this in a pretty positive way. You know, we we can't go through life trying to prepare or, or be ready to deal with every possible scenario at every moment. I mean, when I go out of here, I'm going to drive my car on a highway, probably 65, 70 miles an hour in a big giant 7,000 pound steel fucking missile. The speed limit know, is like 55 with, out there, Billy. Okay. <laughs> I don't go to the speed limit. Let's 60. Let's say I'll go 60. Be generous. But in any case, you know, and there's going to be other cars going as fast or faster right next to me in four to 7,000 pound missiles playing on their fucking cell phone or right. talking to their fucking kid in the back seat or their dogs licking their face. You know, and like if I drove around on like such high alert of every possibility that was going on while I was driving down the road, I would be paralyzed with fear and not be able to function. You'd probably be a worse driver. Yeah. But I mean, if we go through life in that way, like, all right, is today the day that my mom's going to die, my dad's going to die, my wife's going to die, my kids could die? Fuck. You know? Fuck. So (laughs) I Yeah, no, and I I totally agree. So (laughs) hypervigilance is probably not the answer, right? That seems more of a hindrance than a solution. But just in the sense of, like, every fucking time that life does anything, I feel like that meme with the surprise Pikachu, like... And shock all over again. Like, why am I so bad? Like, yes, maybe I didn't know this specific situation was coming or the day, but I kind of knew, right? Like, why is there all? It, I don't know, and I don't think there's an answer for it. I just it badgers the hell out of me that I can't be just more like, okay, so it's like at the beach, right? I don't generally turn to face the ocean. Uh, while I'm in the water because then the fucking waves splash me in the face and my eyeballs and shit. So I generally turn with my back towards the waves. Mm. I don't see them coming. I do know they're coming, right? Not exactly when, but I'm kind of in this, like, this buoyant sort of I'm ready to go up when the wave comes and go down when it's not. And, yeah, a couple of them catch me off guard. But for the most part, like, I get the general feeling of going with the ocean, right? I don't need to know exactly when it's coming to sort of be prepared for it. And yet I don't feel that comfortable in life. Like, I feel like I'm just constantly blindsided by shit. <laughs> and I had no idea it was coming. And yeah. I'm like, why? Well, I should have some better idea that it's going to be up and down. Yeah. Well, I, and I think that's what our recovery practice teaches us is, you know, not necessarily teaches us how to deal with life. It doesn't necessarily give us the answers. It puts us in a position to be able to manage it. You know, mm-hmm. 
in in some way that hopefully is not harmful to ourselves or others. You know, right. like like that's what I'm trying to do here. Life's going to show up. Shit's going to happen today, tomorrow, the next day. And and how do I deal with it? How do I, I can choose to kind of go through it sort of gracefully and kind of with the flow? And it doesn't mean I won't have ups or downs or get get sort of knocked around a little bit. Um, or I can fight against it the whole time and, mm. and you know, get angry and get miserable and be whatever and, and fight it. Um, and recovery, I think, gives me the tools to just be in position to deal with it, to face it and go along with the flow, even though the flow isn't always where I want it to go. You mm. know, Maybe it might be flowing somewhere I don't want to flow. Right. But, you know, I have tools to deal with that too today. So what's the takeaway here? I think for me, um, I think for me, this was a reinforcement that I, I'm I'm doing well, just for today with this situation, right? I, I don't need to have answers. I don't need to have any real good, clear path forward. Just fucking be available, be present. Know it's not about me, um, for the most part, and just try to reinforce that like I'm here and through this process one day not today obviously but one day we'll find some meaning and purpose to add to our life from it yeah and knowing that you know loving people sometimes requires us to just be available to listen to be supportive and and not be the guy with all the answers mm. <laughs> to not be the fix I'm the fixer I don't know right. I'm the fixer and Sometimes loving people is about not being the fixer. Yeah. I, I think that was one of the most clear things in my understanding last night when I was telling them was that I can't fix this. I'm just not that fucking powerful, man. Mm-hmm. Very humbling to know that I can't fix this for my mm-hmm. daughters. I can just be there. So uh, with that being said, I think we're done here. Go out, love people, fix them, don't fix them. Whatever it is where you're at, um, just be available and let people know that they matter. If you have any ability to to help the still suffer an addict, you know, do our best to do that. And uh, please feel free to reach out and and share any of your stories or experience with these types of situation. And Billy, oh uh, yeah, I just remember the overdose grief support group uh, through Voice of Hope is called Healing Hearts. Hmm. Um, they meet regularly i think it's every other wednesday they have a schedule it's on the voices of hope website so if you do have you know a friend or family member or you know loved one that you've lost to overdose and you're looking for a support group there is one out there and if you're not in our area or they don't do it virtually i'm sure there's a whole lot of stuff in other places if you just want to search that up if you weren't sure it was a a thing that existed so With that being said, everybody, I hope you have a good week, and uh, we'll see you again next week. If you enjoyed this podcast, please feel free to share it with people you think might benefit from the conversation. Look us up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to join the conversation also and share your ideas with us. We'd love to hear it.